Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being here with us today. We thank you for giving us another opportunity to meet and discuss your word. We thank you so much for the story of the Shumanite woman. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that during this time, you allow us to be able to be freed from any distractions, any thoughts that may take us away from hearing your word. We ask that you speak to each and every one of us individually about what you have planned for our lives and empower us to be able to form a closer relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so ladies, let's go ahead and start. I want you to go ahead and start by turning in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're going to start by reading the actual story of this woman. And we're going to start at verse number 8. It should say, in your Bible, it might even have a title that says the Shunammite woman's hospitality or something about the Shunammite woman. One day, Elisha went to Shunam. Okay, Elisha's a prophet. A prominent woman or a rich woman lived there, persuaded him to eat some food. So whenever he passed by, he stopped there to eat. Then she said to her husband, I know that the one who often passes by here is a holy man of God. So let's make a small room for him upstairs and put a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp there for him. Whenever he comes, he can stay there. Okay, so she's asking her husband if it's okay if they can build another room in their home specifically for this man, make it real simple, just put what he needs in there so that he has a place that he can stop by and rest, not only eat, but rest and restore himself and renew himself when he travels. One day he came there, Elisha came there and stopped and went to the room upstairs to lie down. He ordered his attendant, Gehazi, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her and she stood before him. Then he said to Gehazi, say to her, look, you've gone through all this trouble for us. What can I do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I'm living among my own people. So he asked her, then what should be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Call her, Elisha said. So Gehazi called her and she stood in the doorway. Elisha said, at this time next year, you will have a son in your arms. Then she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not deceive your servant. The woman conceived and gave birth to a son. At the same time, the following year, as Elisha had promised her, the child grew and one day went out to his father in the harvesters. So he went out to the field with his father. Suddenly he complained to his father, my head, my head. His father told his servant, carry him to his mother. So he picked him up and took him to his mother. The child sat on her lap until noon and then died. Then she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut him in and left. She summoned her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys so I can hurry to the man of God and then come back. But he said, why go to him today? It's not a new moon or the Sabbath. She replied, everything is all right. Then she settled the donkey and said to her servant, hurry, don't slow the pace for me unless I tell you to. So she set out and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, remind you, this man of God is Elisha, the same person that was coming in and gave her all these blessings. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to his attendant, Gehazi, look, there's a Shunammite woman. Run out to meet her and ask, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your son all right? And she answered, everything's all right. When she came up to the man of God, at the mountain, she clung to his feet. Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in severe anguish and the Lord has hidden it from me. He hasn't told me. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Didn't I say, don't deceive me? So Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your mantle under your belt, take my staff with you and go. If you meet anyone, don't stop to greet them. And if a man greets you, don't answer him. Then place my staff on the boy's face. The boy's mother said to Elisha, 
as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went ahead of them and placed a staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or sign of life. So he went back to meet Elisha and told him the boy didn't wake up. When Elisha got to the house, he discovered the boy lying dead on his bed. So he went in, closed the door behind the two of them, and prayed for the boy. Then he went up and lay on the boy. He put his mouth to mouth, eye to ear, I'm sorry, eye to eye, hand to hand. While he bent down over him, the boy's flesh became warm. Elisha got up, went into the house, and paced back and forth. Then he went up and bent down over him. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha called Gehazi and said, call the Shumanite woman. He called her and she came. Then Elisha said, pick up your son. She came, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. She picked up her son and left. All right. So that is the story of the Shumanite woman and Elisha. And there's so much in this. I love this story because this woman is so precious. She's, she's focused. She's giving. She's faithful. And I just love the way that she handled her life. So let's talk a little bit about this woman. She is nameless. Okay. They don't give her a name in the Bible. But again, being nameless doesn't mean that you're nameless to God. She's giving as she gave the room to Elisha and was very generous, didn't just give food, but gave her living quarters to him. And she was faithful. She was faithful in the sense that she believed that she had this precious gift and wanted it restored to her when she felt like it was gone. So we're going to read from the book, When Women Pray, and we're starting on page 161. We'll just read some commentary about this little piece. Great women are an incredible asset in this world. And in my observation, great women are almost always women of prayer. The Shumanite woman was a great woman, and she had the wisdom to recognize the uniqueness of Elijah. Now, I just want to point out in the book, T.D. Jakes writes his name as Elijah, but in the Bible, it's Elisha. So I don't understand why he put Elijah, who is the prophet that um, was Elisha was mentored under. So he's a completely different person, a completely different prophet. So I don't know if T.D. Jakes got it confused or, or I don't know. If you know why he did that, let me know. But it should be Elisha. Okay, so. The Shumanite woman was a great woman and had the wisdom to recognize the uniqueness of Elisha. Specifically, she recognized Elisha's connection to God. Elisha himself was not a great man, but he had a powerful connection to a great God. Therefore, this woman built a room for Elisha and his servant to use whenever they passed through the town of Shunem. She built a place for them to stay where they would have some measure of comfort and security. In other words, the Shumanite woman made space for Elijah in her home. And in doing so, she made space for the work of God in her life. I love the picture there because it illustrates an important truth. If you want to see God work in your life, you need to make space for him. If you want to experience God's presence and power, you need to give him some room to move, room to breathe. In the same way, if you want to experience God's blessings, if you want him to fill you up with what you need and what you desire, you need to make some space. You need to open up an area in which you can receive what you need and what you desire. So let's think about this, um, sorry, this humanite woman. She was wealthy, but she used her wealth for God. And we've talked about this in past lives, about how important it is when God blesses you to be a blessing onto him. And that he doesn't just bless you with wealth or with intelligence or with connections or beauty or anything just for the heck of it. Everything has a purpose when you are God's daughter. And so I want to ask you, do you use your blessings for God's kingdom? When God blesses you with extra money or maybe just a certain status or connections to certain people or opportunities, do you use that to your own indulgence or your own advantage or do you give? 
And how do you give? Do you even think to give? Or do you think that it's all for you? And if you are someone who does give, are you giving with intentions of a return? Do you give so that other people can see you giving and you can feel good about it? Do you give because you hope that in later times, this person may be able to remember that you gave and do something for you? What is your heart posture like when you give? That is extremely important because it is dangerous to have any hidden expectations when you give. And I'm not just talking about giving like huge amounts of money to people. I'm talking about just even doing the basics, like giving to your children or giving to your husband, maybe doing something that takes a little bit more time out of your day or costs you a little bit of something that you want for yourself. Are you doing it because you genuinely want to show them the love of God through you? Or do you have some expectation that they should think a certain way of you or they should do more for you, admire you more, or, you know, see you in a better way because of the fact that you are giving. And I will tell you that when you do give with any hidden expectations or any deceptions, when you're not giving from a truly pure heart, not only is it deceitful, but it does bring pain onto you because we are not mind readers and people don't accept your giving with the expectation that they have to give back to you. So when you don't get it, you will be disappointed. But it's absolutely important that you remember why you're giving. Not because you're so special, you're so great, but because the Lord has blessed you to be a blessing onto others. And it's also important to know how important it is to treat people of God with reverence and to do things to help people of God. This also helps the kingdom. So if you are dealing with a person who is a pastor or is, you know, just an evangelist, I mean, it could be anyone and they don't have to be even doing something on that level. It could just be someone who bakes cupcakes for children who are in foster homes. And you know that she's a woman of God and this is her ministry. She bakes cupcakes for them. You can offer, you know, this week, I know that you make cupcakes. Do you mind if I purchase the flour for you? Or do you know that I have like an extra kitchen in my house and you're more than welcome to use that kitchen for your baking? When you do that, you are not only giving, and so you will be blessed for that automatically, but you're also advancing the kingdom of God. Maybe you're not a cupcake baker. Maybe you're not a a big talker, an evangelist. You're not social, but you have the means to help someone else out financially or with your resources. By you giving, you're also allowing the Lord to bless you for advancing his kingdom through someone else. And that's why, you know, it's so important to stay out of jealousy, to stay out of those feelings like, oh, wow, this person's doing all these great things and I'm doing nothing. You can support that person. You can share their videos. You can purchase their books for your friends or family. You can do things to advance what they're doing. And in that, you are part of their blessing for what they're doing. Um, It's a very important thing to note. So housing a person of God brings blessings and the Lord will honor and provide blessings to you for doing that. So I definitely want you to consider, is there anyone in your life that you know, whether it is your pastor or someone from the church or just anyone that you know is doing God's work that you can pour into, that you can help advance that person's um, ministry in any way that you can? It's a beautiful thing. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read page 163. After being on the receiving end of this woman's generosity, Elisha had his servant call and ask her, you've gone through all this trouble for us. Now, what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? Elisha wanted to repay her kindness with kindness. And this is what God does. He always repays. The text says, and she replied, I have a home among my people. (laughs) I don't really know what that means, but it kind of, I guess she's just saying like, I'm fine. I'm with my people. I'm good. I don't need anything. And in other words, I've got everything I need. Elisha kept digging. He spoke with his servant Gehazi to try to get his opinion. 
on some way that they could repay the kindness of this woman. And Gehazi said, she has a son and, a hu- and her husband is old. And I watched this video on YouTube. I'm going to find the link and post it so you can support this woman. But she's a woman of God. And she did a video about this story. And it was hilarious. She has an amazing personality. I hope that you support her. I literally just found her yesterday. But she was actually talking about Gehazi. And she was just saying how, like, there's always some people who are just extra and in your business and, like, doing the most. And she felt that that was what he was doing in a sense, like, prying into her life and saying like, well, you know, she ain't got no kids. You know, she probably wants one type of thing. I just thought it was hilarious. You should definitely watch her video. But we see in this chapter earlier in other chapters about Sarah and the way childlessness was a terrible stigma in the ancient world. And it was, if you did not have a child as a woman, you were looked upon, you were looked down upon. So to make matters worse, this woman's husband was old meaning she had no hope of improving her situation. The prophet called out to the Shumanite woman again and said, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. And look at how she responded. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, do not mislead your servants. Why would this woman recoil so forcefully against the promise of a son? Because she had buried her hope so deeply that it hurt to start digging it up again. This woman had pressed down her desire for children over the course of the years. She felt that desire. She longed for the feeling of a baby in her arms and the sound of a child's laughter in her home. But she had smothered those desires. This woman had a hole in her heart, but she had stuffed that hole full of money and possessions and comfort in an attempt to snuff out her desire for children. She had smothered that desire and pushed it down deeper and deeper until she convinced herself that it was dead. Now, I think in this situation, it is something that is is very serious and a bit heartbreaking when we do have these desires that we stuff down. And I don't even know if you yourself have known anyone like this, and this person could even be you. If you know any women who are wonderful, beautiful women of God, but they don't have children, and you may wonder, like, why don't they have children? Can they not have children? You know that they probably would want children. Maybe their personalities are so loving and so giving, and they're always finding ways to help young people and that kind of thing, but they don't have any children. I know two people like this, and in my mind, I'm like, wow, like, I know how much they would love this. But they do find other wonderful ways to give to children and to just help people. So in this case, she did not ask for a child. Even though she may have been feeling that, she did not ask. Gehazi and Elisha assumed her need or her want based on the culture, based on the fact that, you know, she had certain circumstances. But she did not ask them for a child. And it goes to show the Lord knows your heart. He knows your greatest desires, whether or not you ask or not. He knows and he rewards you and blesses you with the things that you have stuffed so deep down that you won't even admit to yourself anymore. Or you might even forget because it's just been gone for so long, right? For example, maybe you want to get married and now you're 43 and you're like, okay, well, clearly this ship has sailed because I'm not in my prime. I don't, you know, I just don't see it happening. I'm tired of dating. But you know that this is something that you have wanted at some point in your life and you just let it go. You let that dream die. Or maybe you want a child and you've wanted one for so long and unfortunately it just didn't happen for you. And so you give up. Maybe you find other avenues to get that child. But maybe you wanted to have that child naturally. Perhaps you decide to adopt a child, which is beautiful. Or maybe you decide to have someone else, a surrogate, carry your child. But the desire for you to carry your own child has not left, right? And for other people, it could be something else. It could be like a position that you want in life, some sort of success that you want in life. You've always wanted to write a certain book or start a blog, 
Or perhaps you wanted some sort of financial status, but your finances have been in a hole for so long, you can't even dress the way you want to dress or get the hairstyles that you want to have. You can't live this life that you've always wanted to live because your finances have been down in the dumps. It can be anything. But one thing I do want you to know, if you are someone who's dealing with unfulfillment in any area of your life, is to give. Giving is literally the door that opens up your blessings. And unfortunately, we live in a society that's all about like tit for tat. You do for me, I do for you. Why should I do this? This person has done nothing for me. People are constantly telling other people, oh, you're doing too much. You're giving too much. And unfortunately, a lot of us have lost that human touch, that human connection of giving. Giving is the answer to opening up doors. And I've talked about this in all of my past lives about how important it is to give. And you will always be taken care of. And people may tell you, you know, you're too nice. You're too nice. You you know, you're too nice. (laughs) You're always giving to people and they don't give to you or they may try to talk you out of it. And you may have heard that your whole life. You're just too nice. Now, of course, Boundaries are important with everything, but being too nice is not a bad thing in and of itself. The two part can either come from the fact that people are taking advantage of you or can come from the fact that you're just doing more than the average person. And if that's the case, you know, just remember that God gave you a heart for giving. He didn't give that to everyone, clearly. But if you have a beautiful, special heart for giving, honor that because there's a blessing in that for you in every single way. So it's not even just like you getting back what you give in return. It's not just that because that's a spiritual law. The Lord has already created the earth in a way where when you reap, you will sow. If you give, even if you're a horrible person, a wicked person, if you donate to charities and foundations and you help people, you're still going to receive. It's a spiritual law. But when you give as a child of Christ, you will get blessed more than you could ever imagine. And not just in the way you gave, but in in so many ways that you can never even think of. I know my husband showed me this guy on YouTube the other day who's like, he has a whole channel based around giving. And he gives like, it's really interesting. He'll like go to like a store, one of those outdoor supermarkets and see like an old woman selling bracelets in the street. And the bracelets are like $15. And he'll say, oh, can I take this one? And she's like, sure, $15. And then he gives her like $10,000 or something like that. And like, these are outrageous amounts of money, but he does this every day. He just goes and gives people tons of money for nothing. And I just thought to myself, and, and the thing is he has so much to get, right? And he doesn't have to do this. It is part of his content, but I know that this young man is so blessed. Not just in the sense that he's getting all this money from the views and he can afford to do some of this stuff. But when you see how the women or whoever he gives to, how they hug him, how they cry, how they thank the Lord for him, those blessings mean something. When you give to someone and they thank God for you, trust me, like the way he's going to get blessed, it's not just going to be money. He's going to have health. He's going to have happiness and joy and all kinds of amazing things because he's genuinely changing someone's life. So I just want to stress the importance of giving and how beautiful that is and how God sees anyone who gives because you are being like God. Now, I do want to point out that in this story, the woman, when she was asked after she's given, after she's done all these things, when she was asked, what can I do for you? She didn't say anything. Now, we can look at that as like, wow, she's so humble, right? And she's so content, which she is. And I don't want to discount that because being content is important as a child of God, understanding that, you know, you have what you need and you will be provided for. But it doesn't take away from the fact that when you are asked for something, it's okay for you to ask for what you want, especially if you're being asked by someone who can give you something substantial. Okay, this man of God, she knows, has access to God's power. You know, perhaps in those days, not now, but in those times, the Lord spoke with certain people more than others. 
And he was someone who had access to God in that way. So that would mean that she could ask for something that's more than money can buy. And she still didn't ask. And so if God asked you today, God asked you for your greatest desire, it could be anything and he would give it to you, what would your answer be? Would you even have an answer? Would you be able to think like, okay, one desire that I can ask the Lord for and he will do it for me. Anything, anything. Could be bringing someone back from the dead. Anything. Would you even think to ask for the impossible like bringing someone back from the dead or restoring your uterus so that you can conceive or allowing you to be able to get a certain job or position that you've always wanted? Would you even think to ask for that? Or would you say, oh no, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm good. I, I have you, Lord. That's all I need, right? What would you do? Some of us have lost so much hope that we wouldn't ask for the one thing because we don't believe that God would do it. We think it's just too much to ask. But having faith is so important. And just knowing that God can is so important because it's the evidence of things hoped for the things that you hope for, what is it that you're hoping for? In 1 Kings chapter 3, the Lord asked King Solomon, do you remember that story where King Solomon, who was King David's son, became king and the Lord asked him in a dream, what should I give you? And Solomon thought, okay, what, what do I really need? And he asked the Lord to give him the wisdom and the discernment to be able to rule over the people because he felt like he had this huge responsibility, but didn't know how he was actually going to do it because he didn't have the wisdom to do it. And the Lord said, okay, the fact that you didn't ask for riches and fame and for me to kill your enemies and all these things, I'm not only going to do that for you, but I'm going to give you everything else, everything else that a person could possibly ask for. And he did because the Lord said in Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. So just knowing that anything that you can ask for is nothing to God. He can do more than we could ever even ask or even think. Some things that we could have our minds can't even imagine thinking about. So how could you even ask for it? But God can still and will give it to you anyway. And I, I am 100% can testify to this in my life. It is beyond imaginable. And it just blows me away every time God does something that I did not ask for and couldn't have even thought to have asked for, but believe that he can do anything. And I do hear a lot of people, especially women, discounting themselves in certain areas, especially as I get older. When I was younger, women would tell me like whatever they wanted. They would say they want this kind of guy. They want this kind of house. They want this kind of job. They want to be this kind of a woman. But as I've gotten older and older, I'm starting to hear people that I know saying things like, yeah, you know, I don't really care if I get married. I just want to have a child. Or, you know, I really don't want kids. I, I, you know, I just, I just don't. And there are some people who genuinely, truly have no desire for marriage or for kids. Okay. Very few, but there are some, it's not impossible for a person to truly feel that way, but I'm not talking about the people who feel that way because of what they've seen growing up or because they think it can't happen. Those people have no desire for it whatsoever. It has nothing to do with anything, but a lot of these women, most of them are saying this because of fear of disappointment. They would rather at some point say, you know what? I'm, I'm good with the husband if it comes, but all I really want is this child. When in fact, they do want a husband. They do want a great husband. They do want children. But saying it starts to hurt too much as things are not working out. And I think that that is very, very dangerous. I remember going to a woman's, like I was on a panel to speak at some women's event once. And we were having like a girl's night where we were all talking. And one of the ladies said this. She was very young, beautiful, but you could tell that she'd been jaded. And she's like, I, I don't even care about having a man. I just want to have a baby. 
And I remember saying to her, you should never, ever say that. Never say you don't want something that you actually want. And I know she kind of gave me a little like, mm, who do you think you are? I don't know you. Why are you telling me this type of thing? But I had to say it because I believe that your words are so powerful. You never want to agree with the enemy. You never want to allow yourself to make statements like that and contradict what your heart really wants. It's it's very um, detrimental to you. It's powerful in the spiritual world. And it shows a lack of faith in what God can do in your life by saying you don't want something that you actually do want, but are unwilling to be vulnerable in that sense. So when you are a child of God and you do want something, be vulnerable. Now, you don't have to be vulnerable to other people. You don't have to tell people if you don't want to. But when you're alone with God, when you're talking to God and praying to him, it's necessary that you're vulnerable with God. And it doesn't matter how embarrassing it is. It doesn't matter if you might feel pathetic about asking for this thing. It's not pathetic once you get it, right? You may be asking the Lord if you can please lose 50 pounds. And you may think, my gosh, it's been, what, seven years and I haven't lost any weight. As a matter of fact, I'm getting bigger. And that might be embarrassing to tell people that you want to lose weight. Instead, you're saying things like, "Mm -hmm, I'm big and delicious and my man loves all this weight. When inside, you do not feel good at this weight. You want to lose 50 pounds. If the Lord asked you, would you like me to take 50 pounds off? You would say yes. Then why would you say you're totally fine with this? Even if you don't want to admit it to other people, you don't have to. But don't say you don't want it. And make sure you're admitting it to the Lord. Because God can help you lose 100 pounds. He can help you get a bigger butt. That's what you really want. He can, you know help you to stay diligent with your workout routine, with your food. He can get you education on certain things and help you. Nothing is stupid in his in his eyes. If you want it, he's like, okay, let's do this. So make sure that you're bringing your request to the Lord. And some people may say things like, well, if the Lord really wanted me to have this, he would give it to me, right? Like clearly, like, why am I praying about this? God doesn't want to give it to me, which is not biblical. That's not true. God asks us all the time to ask him for things, to pray for things, to bring your requests to him. He never says, well, if I didn't give it to you, it means I don't want you to have it. (laughs) It's not true. And what he does say, though, is that you have not because you ask not. In James, he does say that. And he does say that. Or you ask with the wrong motives. You're asking for this, but you're asking for what reason? Why do you want a husband? Just so you can say you're married? Just so you can have a wedding? Or are you really trying to partner with someone and have a kingdom marriage for my glory? What is it that you want and why do you want it? That's important to God as well. And there are some of us who have been through things like tragedy or illnesses, you know, a word from the doctor that just kills our dream, whatever we thought was possible, the doctors or, you know, the world has caused you to accept a new reality that you never thought you would have to deal with. And that's, it's heartbreaking, but you have to remember that God can, you know, the doctors are going to tell you their professional advice. It doesn't mean that God can't overturn it or can't allow miracles to happen because he does it every single day. And I'm reading off of page 166, says, when we are forced to endure difficult circumstances, we adapt to those circumstances by finding ways to minimize the pain that we experience. We learn how to short circuit our suffering so that we can survive the situation and move forward. So what have you accepted in your life that should have no place in your life? What have you accepted into your family that should have no place in your family? Have you accepted spiritual brokenness either in yourself or in your children, in your spouse? Have you accepted burdens that you were never meant to carry? Have you accepted relationships that are dragging you down? Have you accepted abuse or unhappiness or disrespect? Whenever you ask for something from God, think about why you really want it and tell the Lord that he will get the glory for whatever it is. And when you do get it, make sure that God gets the glory for it, meaning you are telling people 
that God did it for you, or you're sharing your testimony as to what really happened, let God get the glory and plead your case. There's a parable in the New Testament, I'm going to share it with you, of a widower, a widow, a woman who went to this judge to seek justice for something. Now, this judge was a really like kind of nasty, evil man. And I'm just going to read the parable because it's so important. And it's in Luke chapter 18, verses one through eight. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable. So when Jesus was telling these parables, these stories, he's kind of showing you how the kingdom of God works. His whole point when he was here on earth was to explain the kingdom of God to us and to die for us to be able to experience the reconnection with God again. So he would, t- he would tell these stories that you'd have to kind of like figure out, okay, how does this line up with God's kingdom? So this parable Jesus told, he told this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. The judge did not fear God and he didn't care about man. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, he will find faith on the earth. Now, this parable is to say that this woman who was so persistent against a judge that wasn't even like a good person, he granted her request simply because she was so persistent and she had the legal rights to what she was asking for. And so you as a child of God, God is saying like, this person didn't even love God or people. I love you. You have the legal right because you are born again. You are saved. You are a child of God. Will I not grant you what you want and quickly? And again, so this goes to show how important God sees you praying and being persistent in your prayer. He wants you to never stop. And he knows your desires, even if you don't want to admit them. And through prayer, he fulfills those hidden desires. So later on with this Shunammite woman, a year later, she had a son, just like Elisha prophesied, but he died in her arms. Now, and I'm, I'm jumping because we've already read what happened. Um, he died. I don't know how old he was, but he was young, young enough for her to carry him. So she laid him in the room that she had built for Elisha. And I thought it was interesting when I was reading, like, wonder why of all the rooms in the house, she laid him on that bed. But I believe it was symbolic in terms of the place that this is a place where Elisha dwell. This is a place where she knew God's presence was in, because this is where he came and he prayed and he rested and he was reading, you know, scripture. And, you know, she knew that God's presence was there and that was the best place for him to be. And one thing I also love about her was that she was full of faith and focus. She didn't cry. It didn't say that she she wept or, you know, she yelled or screamed. It didn't say that she did anything emotional, even though she was probably feeling very emotional. She was focused to get this child's life back. And I found that to be very inspirational because I know that I'm someone who at times can be very drawn into emotion when something is going on that's just devastating instead of thinking quickly and figuring out how I can solve this problem. I love the fact that she wasn't panicking. She was just trying to fulfill this mission. So she told her husband that she needed a donkey and a servant. Her husband is like a pretty clueless guy. There's a lot of commentary about her husband, if you ever read up on the story, because it just seemed like he was just so kind of out of the loop as to what was going on with his son, which didn't make a lot of sense. Because the last time she saw him, he saw his son, his head was hurting and didn't ask any questions. But anyway, she went to the person who was responsible for giving her this son. 
Now, obviously, she knew that God blessed her with her son. But Elisha was the one who brought this upon her after she told him, don't play with me. Like, if you're going to give me what I want, don't play with me. And now she feels like games are being played. So she's going to the person responsible for giving her this thing. And she wanted him to take responsibility for it. She wanted him to follow through with what he, with what he said. It's like, you're not going to bring me problems. <laughs> you need to take care of this. Well, what do you do in your life when you believe that the Lord has given you something and now maybe has taken it away? When a problem strikes in your life, are you able to even sit back and remember who gave this to you and ask him to take responsibility for it? This is something that comes with a certain boldness. And this boldness only comes from you reading your Bible, having a relationship with God. When you have a relationship with God, you know that he loves you. You are comfortable talking to God because you talk to him all the time. And you're comfortable asking for help with whatever you need, whenever you need it. And again, this only comes from having a real relationship with God, where you can come to God and say, Lord, now you told me that you were going to give this to me. And now it seems like you're taking it back. Like, what? I need you. What's going on? I'm not going to focus on what I see. I know that you are going to fulfill the promises to me. As you know, I'm pregnant right now. I'm 39 weeks, so I'm full term now. But when I was 17 weeks pregnant, I talked about how I got a kidney stone. It was the worst, most horrific pain of my life. I, after, you know, I dealt with a kidney stone, even still, I was having issues and contractions. And it's like, where's all this coming from? I was really confused. I went to the doctor and I went to labor and delivery specifically. And the doctors came, they looked at me, they're like, you know, you're having contractions. We're going to see if you're actually dilating, like if the baby is trying to come out. And I was like, okay, well, I'm 17 weeks pregnant. So what happens? And he was like, oh, well, you know, if in fact that's what's going on, we'll just have to deliver the baby. And I thought, okay, is the baby going to survive at 17 weeks? And he's like, no, just matter of fact, no. And I was like, what the heck? Like you're telling me this devastating news. You're saying it so casually. My mind went straight to the Lord. Instead of getting caught up in what the doctor was saying and, and how he was talking to me all casually about something so horrific, I went back to God's promise. I, and if you haven't watched my video as to how I got pregnant, all that kind of thing, I'd recommend that you watch that. But the Lord, I asked God for this baby. The Lord said yes, granted to me when I asked him for it. He fulfilled a promise and now he's going to take it back. And it was something so dramatic. Like it just didn't make any sense to me. I'm like, I, I just don't understand this. I don't believe it. I also am not going to accept it. And I went straight to the Lord and said, Jesus, you gave this baby to me. You granted my desires. I know this was a gift from you and I don't understand what's going on right now. And I'm not, I reject everything that the doctor is saying. I know you're going to bring me out of this and we'll be fine. And God is so gracious and so wonderful that, you know, I was fine. I was having contractions, but it was due to like other things like gas and things that were just really minor. And I was able to go home and I was fine. But there was that moment where I thought, okay, it's over. It was all for nothing kind of thing. But coming back to faith, I remember the Lord will rescue his elect. The Lord is a fighter for those who are righteous and whom he loves. And he will be there for you, even though it seems like it's bleak or it's not happening anymore. And this is kind of like what this woman had to do. She had to go back to the source and say, I need help and I need you to fix this. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if anything like that has ever happened in your life, but if it has reflect upon it and thank God for his faithfulness and his love for you. And Use that same fuel to stand strong in his promises, whatever he gives you, even if it doesn't seem like it's working out or whatever the case might be, have faith in whatever he promised you and you know in your heart is for you. Now, with this woman, she was walking back to meet Elisha and her husband asked her, you know, is everything okay? And Elisha got her servant to ask before she got to him, is everything okay? And she's like, it is well. It is well. Everything is fine. 
And in my Bible, I even wrote, what? (laughs) Wow. Like, how can you say that? It's one thing for her to keep her composure, but the fact that she was able to say it as well, like, I'm fine, shows a level of faith that she has. Now, T.D. Jakes has a different sort of viewpoint on this. And if you have the book, you can read because he was more so looking at it like she wasn't being honest and she was kind of stuffing down her feelings, which could have been true. That could have been true, but I didn't see it that way. I saw it as she was so faith-filled that she was speaking in faith and saying everything is fine because in her mind, everything was going to be fine. And she wasn't going to distract herself by allowing herself to get into a place of pity or a place of grief in that moment. She was focused. And that, again, is so inspirational to me because... I'm the kind of person, if, if I was already like on edge and people were asking me, is everything okay? I'd probably like break down and start crying and tell them how everything is not okay. And this is what's happening. But she didn't have that attitude. And even though the servant was like trying to stop her from even coming to Elisha and coming down at his feet, you know, Elisha stopped that. And that happens. That happens sometimes where you're trying to seek God for something and other people are stopping you. And they're stopping you by saying things in your ear like, oh, well, you know, that happened to me and this happened. And they're telling you all this bad news and they're they're trying to keep you away from having that hope. And you have to stay focused. It's like, I always tell you guys, whenever anyone is saying anything against what you want or what you wish for, dismiss it. Don't allow people's bad stories, horror stories, trauma, or just their negativity get to you. Even if they want to tell you certain things, you can in your mind say that shall never happen to me in Jesus name. I cancel that in Jesus name. I rebuke that in Jesus name, not me in Jesus name. It doesn't matter what they're saying. Don't allow it to stick onto you because it's a distraction from you being able to seek God and for your faith to continue. So she had great faith. And we know that one of the most tragic situations is for you to lose your child. It's not the only tragic tragic situation. There are so many tragedies in life that we can really get tied down to because it is difficult for us to see things when things are in crisis. It's difficult to see the good. It's difficult to say it is well, it's fine, I'm good when you're not. But it's you literally speaking in faith. You speaking from the future. It doesn't mean that she wasn't in distress, but She was not going to use her distress as a distraction. So she grabbed a hold of Elisha's feet and she said the same words that he had spoken to his mentor, saying that she wasn't going to leave him. And, you know, she wasn't going to leave God. And she made sure that Elisha went with her to the house because he sent the servant first and told the servant to put his staff on the boy's face and it didn't work. But she was like, no, I came here for you. And I need you to check on this boy. And he did. And he laid upon him. He breathed life into the little boy. And through God's power, the boy was brought back to life, which was beautiful. And it says here in the book, her dream was alive once more. Why? Because of prayer. Because she refused to accept her situation as it was. And instead chose to run after God's prophet and God's power. I hope that you'll make the same choice when it feels like your dreams are dying, when it seems like hope itself is slipping through your fingers. I hope you'll run to God and dive at his feet. I hope you'll grab him and refuse to let go. Because when women pray, even what is dead can find life again. So I would like you to leave me a comment, my dear, and Tell me, what do you need God to bring back to life in your life? It could be your motivation. It could be your health. It could be your femininity, your desire to date again, marriage. It could be a passion that you have for something. It can be your finances, your relationship with him, your relationship with one of your siblings or your parents, what in your life do you need God to bring back to life? And be honest, you you can leave a comment or you do not have to, but you can 
share that with the Lord and genuinely ask him because he can do anything. And if you remember, the reason why Christ came was to give that resurrection power. Jesus literally gave power to resurrection through his life when he came and he died and he was brought back again. His life was restored to him. That same resurrection power that can bring something dead back to life is alive within you if you are a child of God. If you've accepted Jesus as your personal savior, if you have said, I want to have Jesus as my Lord and you've been born again, then you have that power within you and that power can restore anything dead in your life. And the most important thing that that power restores is you. If you are dead, if your life is dead, God's power can restore you and give you a brand new life, which is called a new birth or being born again. So even if you're a woman who's gone to church her whole life and you call yourself a Christian, that does not mean you are born again. Being born again is when you decide on your own, in your bedroom, in your car, that you want the Lord Jesus to be your savior. And you give him that power to renew your life and give you a brand new one. So I invite you today to do that if you haven't, because that is the most important thing to ever restore is your relationship with Christ. So I want to go ahead and leave it here. We had a really beautiful lesson in terms of understanding what God can do and how important it is for you to have an attitude where you are persistent in your prayer and you are hopeful and faithful and not giving up on things that you believe are dead. So I want you to go ahead and agree with me in prayer. Close your eyes and let's just allow the Lord to have this lesson sort of sink into our hearts and restore all that we have let go of. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this lesson on the Shumanite woman. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your resurrection power. We thank you for allowing your Holy Spirit to dwell in us and know that we can do exceedingly and abundantly things that we can never even ask or think about through your power that lives within us. We ask that each and every one of these ladies who are here today is able to bring to you their requests and their desires and their prayers, and that you, Lord Jesus, can restore and renew the hope that they've lost in their lives. We know that you love each and every one of us. We know, Lord Jesus, that you want the best for us. We repent from our old way of thinking. We ask for forgiveness of our sins, and we accept you into our hearts, Lord Jesus, in this moment, and ask that you restore and renew every dead area of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you so much, my love, for being here, listening to this podcast, and spending some time with me today. I hope that the information that you heard here today will bless and open up your life for you to be the woman that God created you to be. Make sure to follow me on my Instagram page at a feminine impression and my personal page at Dr. Michelle Daff. Also visit my YouTube channel, Dr. Michelle Daff for more information and lots of video content on femininity. I would also love your support in purchasing my fragrance from my brand Fine Forever by visiting www.fineforever.com. And remember that in all things you do, make a feminine impression.